This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. Hello, hello. Ah, the whole fan club is here. Hello, baby booby bubby. I think my producers are trying to tell me something. Well, what do you know? I asked for final cut, and I got it! (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. I'm Alan Katz. And I'm Gil Adler. Today we are, we're going to pick among our babies, uh, crypt episodes we love and crypt episodes we um, hate. Or didn't like as much, are, to be are there, kind. Are, are there any episodes where, where as you look at, you, 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 you just can't even watch them? Well, you know, thinking through what I liked and what I hated made me think of why did I like them and why did I hate them? Yeah, and yeah. and for the most part, it didn't really have to do with the writing or the stories or taking the comic books and doing what we did to them to make them into episodes. It really had to do more with the experience I had with the various directors making those shows. Because, you know, when we did so many episodes with so many different directors, really well-known and some not so well-known mm. then, mm. Mm. Um, you you really get a good education in the psychology of personality. And so I think I reacted more towards what my experience was in that capacity than it yeah. was in anything else. It's it's hard to experience the finished product without feeling everything that went into the finished product. And and not everything was uh, happy and pleasant. You know, as we've said repeatedly, doing Tales from the Crypt was capturing lightning in a bottle. It was great fun, but not every episode was uh, was a gem. And it was work. I mean, we were still working 14, 16 hours a day and always chasing our tail to make sure mm. that, you know, we were finished. I mean, we had five shows in production and at any given time. Two were in prep. Yeah. One was shooting and two were in post. Yeah. So we would we would be going nuts all the time. You know, I, I, re- I remember a couple, few times people would come into my office and start t- talking to me about an episode. And I'd go, stop, stop. You have to start by telling me what episode you're talking about. Oh, that episode. Okay, now what's the problem? You know, so so I really my my analysis of it in my own head, looking back, was where did I have fun with those directors, and where did I have less fun? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, you're being so gentle so far. <laughs> well, hey, you're you're holding things in reserve because right there right. are there are names and stories that are going to come up where yeah okay let let's see how reserved you are then. Oh yeah. Uh, we're for for purposes of of uh, just as it wouldn't be fair otherwise we are excluding everything we did with Bob Zemeckis where yellow is off the table. Uh, it, it, you, you simply can't say, well, I love doing it. Well, of course you love doing yellow. I mean, you know, you're you're, you're doing World War One with Bob Zemeckis and Kirk Douglas. What, what's not to love? And we're going to also cut our 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 second uh, the second script we wrote with Bob. We wrote for Bob. Uh, you murderer, because again, it's Zemeckis, you know, and you're, you're, it, it stands outside of 
all comparisons. So, suffice it to say, our some of our best experiences were with Bob, both yeah. as writers and producers oh, and gosh. even directors. Yeah. And, you know, we really can't compete and compare him to other people we work with. So, so we've taken those those episodes off the table. Okay. Now, with that caveat, there's still, you know, there we wrote and you directed a number of episodes and uh you know it's hard not to feel a certain amount of additional love for for those babies but you know so we'll 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 restrict you to one that you one that you directed i think the one that i liked the most and felt it was innovative and felt we were taking from bob zemeckis's theory of wanting to do something different each time was death of some salesmen. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I, I have three words for that, which is Tim Curry. And the second one is Tim Curry. And the third one is Ed Bagley Jr. Oh well, yeah, yeah. And I... you know, working with those guys was just the best. And plus we had a movie star from the fifties. Yvonne DiCarlo, Lily Munster. I was the last person to direct her. As a matter of fact, that is on her tombstone. <laughs> It's funny. It's on mine as well. <laughs> this is that's so sweet. So when you have people like that to work with, even though you're under terrible pressure, and even mm. though we had a lot to do in, in in the course of the of the episode, mm. a lot of effects, a lot of makeup effects, you know, it it it, it takes a special it takes a special place in your heart. I mean, working especially with Tim mm. well, was just get, fun. Get, getting Tim. You had to do some extracurricular work to get Tim yeah. to take this leap of uh, well, you know, theatrical we, phase. We talked one day and we said, you and I, and we said, well, who 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 would be great? And I think we both agreed Tim Curry would be fantastic. So we called the agent, and or Victoria called the agent, called yeah. us back and said, I'm really sorry. Tim goes to uh, Carnivale in Brazil every year around the time when you're going to shoot. So he he won't do it. And we were like, what, what, what do you mean? What? So, so we called back and we said, okay, can I just have a, we, ha we want to just have a meeting. And, and we know that I just want to meet him because I had seen him uh, on King's road in, in, in his play much earlier on uh, 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 Rocky Horror. Hmm. And I didn't really know him at all, but I really wanted to know him. And so the agent said, okay, but, but you, you can't ask him to do the show. I, I said, well, I won't ask him. I won't ask him to do the show. I understand he's going to Rio. Fine. So we met at Chaya Brasserie on, in Venice for lunch. And we started chatting. And I didn't bring up the show. And he said to me, so you know I'm not doing the show. And I said, I know. I know. Uh, your agent was very specific. And I agreed I wouldn't talk about that with you. And he said, oh, good. Good. Okay. What are you having? And then we ordered. And he said, so, so who's going to do the show? And I said, I don't know yet. I, I, I'm still getting over the disappointment of not having who Alan and I both agreed would be the best, which is you. And, and, but, I, but, but, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I don't know who's going to do it. And he said, well, tell me, tell me about the show. Tell me. So I started describing the characters and how I saw them and how it would be so much fun. And, you know, kind hearts and coronets was always a, a favorite of mine. And Alec Guinness played seven characters. And here we are with Tales from the Crypt, where someone's going to play three characters, including Ma and Pa 
and their deformed daughter, Winona. And the more I spoke, the more I saw him, his eyes lighting up and him thinking about it. And we had lunch. I, I insisted we ordered dessert because I didn't want the meeting to end. And we're sitting there having dessert. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, shit, you really got me. I said, excuse me? What? I, I'm going to do the show. I said, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. I can't. Yeah, you can't. I, you I, gotta I can't let you. Yeah. Because you, now your agent will be really pissed at me because she'll say, I, I, he said, no, don't worry about my agent. I'll talk to my agent. I'm doing the show. I go, I think you should think about it because, you know, you go to Carnival all the time. Him, we, now we can't let you do it. <laughs> right. Right. You're so gonna have finally, to beg us, man. So I said, think about it overnight and see if, how you really feel. Maybe, you know, maybe after we, you know, you lose me and you go back to your regular world. You'll go After uh, the sugar from, from dessert wears off. You'll, you'll right, uh, right. So the next day I get a call, not from Tim, but his agent. And she's yelling at me. What did you do to Tim? I said, listen, I did nothing. I did nothing. I told him as soon as we sat down, I said, you're not doing the show. I understand that. I wish I were going to Rio with you. So I was laughing and she goes, well, I don't know what you did, but he just got off the phone with me. He's doing your show. He's just doing your show. He's not going to Rio. And I said, do you think he'll change his mind like in a week? Because I don't want to get down the road and not have an actor. Oh, no, no, no. If Tim says he's going to do it, he's doing it. And, and that's he, how we got him. Yeah, he was wonderful to work with. He was such a the, pleasure. What a, what a he lovely was the best. guy. Oh. And, we, and we just laughed. We had so much fun doing the show, uh, even though I was always frightened to death of directing. And I was always nervous that I wasn't going to get the day, wasn't going to get the shots, I wasn't going to get the performance. And it was just a joy. It, it was uh, as challenging also to uh, to Todd Masters, who did all the special effects makeup. Right. And under tremendous time duress. I mean, really. And, and then because of uh, there was a weather issue, and so we had to flip the schedule. And I think the Ma character had to be ready first and that was not the original plan and so right that kind of todd flew that in as it were at the last second on the day just as everyone's standing around on the set well, what, the we had to, what we had to, to do was we had to really schedule it based on makeup and makeup time yeah yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. the days were like oh if we could separate ma and pa and winona we did that and so the, the schedule was very crazy and yeah, we never yeah, nothing yeah. was in continuity and it, that's that was causing more problems than anything else because we had to realize okay what in what part of the script are we where he's now performing as Winona or Ma or Pa, and there were days where we had all three makeup working because as we separated everything out for different days we were left still with a bunch of scenes. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Let's let's, let's think outside the box. We having fun now. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was that was great fun in making it, and and uh, I just I really loved working with those people. Yeah, it was it was a challenge all the way around to everybody. It was one of those. It was it was really lightning. That was a lightning in a bottle episode in, in our lightning in a bottle show, simply because the demands were so ridiculous. And the and the genesis of that show, the genesis of our interest in doing it, you know, th three characters. Really, you have, we have to credit to Bob Zemeckis because yeah. Zemeckis always said, I don't want to do another episode unless it's different. Mm -hmm. So, Gil, Allen, uh, tell me what we're doing that's different. And then you and I would go away and look at each other like, 
oh, God, we're not going to get Zemeckis this year because he's not going to do it unless it's different. And then we would come up with something that was different, either you and I would pitch it to him or hmm. we'd get together, the three of us, and, and all of a sudden, by the end of our chocolate chip cookie fest, we would have an idea for a show. So based on Bob and and that, we, we said, well, we, we're going to do something different too. What is it? <laughs> and we had no idea until we came upon, oh, three characters, one actor, Tales from the Crypt never had done that. You, you lied to me, all of you. Lied? Oh, now that ain't a nice thing to say. Besides, weren't no lie at all. No, sir. It's called <laughs> salesmanship. The irony of a kind was when we did our last season of Crypt in London, we shot it at Ealing Studios where they shot Kind Hearts and Coronets, the movie that we wanted right. to, uh, to duplicate. So Wasn't that great? That was great. I remember oh, walking on those stages and just oh, standing there and waiting oh, to hear Alec Guinness's voice. Oh, man. Just... It was such a hoot being there. I I, I wish the uh, I wish the episodes had been up to the uh, to the locale, you know, how how it is. But uh, it was fantastic being there. Uh, all right. So uh, one episode that 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 you that you loved making, right. uh, being part of Death of Some Salesman. Uh, another. And what about you? Looking back, just like you, I, it, it really came down sometimes to what I loved wasn't necessarily the 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 finished episode, you know, I like them. It was working with one particular person. Sometimes it just made the whole experience transcendent. Sure. Um, you know, dead weight. Uh, working with with Toby Hooper was was great, and then of course there was working with Whoopi, and that was a wonderful experience. We were shooting that at the at the uh, the A One Globe Pasta Factory that that's right. no longer there, and our our offices were out in front of the stage and uh, my assistant comes in and says, oh, Whoopi wants to talk to you. I went, oh, okay. And it was like the first day that she was working. I said, hi, uh, what can we do for you, Whoopi? And she said, can, can I get a hold of some of the, the comic books? I, you know, I'd love reading them. Said, can I get a hold of them? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, I'll, we've got them all in our little boardroom over there. I'll, sure. I'll have them sent over to your, to your trailer. She said, oh, no, no, I don't want my trailer. I'll just read them here. But, Oh, okay. Well, we'll set you up in the boardroom. You know, great, great. She said, no, 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 I don't even know what I mean. The boardroom, I could, you know, right. Here's fine. She's standing in the hallway. <laughs> People are <laughs> passing by. And I went, well, you, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Here. No, no, here's, here's good. Just give me a, a, a chair. She pointed to the one that was, yeah, that was good. Okay. So I pulled over the chair and put it down and she sits down and, all right. And walked into the boardroom and I got her a stack of, because they were hard bound. Uh, sure. in you know, hardbound editions, and I yeah. got her a stack, and I put it in. Okay, can I get you something to drink? Yeah, you can get me something. This I got her a drink, and she's sitting there reading comic books. Now you have to remember, we got Whoopi just after she'd won her Oscar for Ghost. That's right. So Whoopi was as hot as pistol hot as she'd ever been in her entire career. She was, she was like one of the hottest actors in all of Hollywood. And there, the one of the hottest actors in Hollywood was sitting in our corridor, right. reading comic books <laughs> as people walked back and forth, kind of looking, doing a side eye, like, "What the fuck is Whoopi Goldberg? <laughs> what, what the fuck is this place?" 
but it was lightning in a bottle. <laughs> it was uh, that was typical of the lightning in a bottle atmosphere. Top billing, uh, a really terrific episode. Really love the episode. I, what I think about is working with Todd Holland, who was mm-hmm. terrific. Wow, what a what a creative force of nature. Loved working with Todd. T- uh, Todd, you know, John Lovitz was. I think he he was well cast. Uh, not the most personable co-worker but you know people in comedy comedians as, as we know they're, yeah yeah they're miserable people that's why they're funny bruce, <laughs> bruce box lightner what was it was fun to work with uh louise mm-hmm. fletcher we got to work with uh kimmy robertson i got to work with and that was fun because you know we just did an episode a little while ago about uh i took groundlings classes with with phyllis kaufman and kimmy robertson who went on to do uh, uh twin peaks and and a lot of uh, terrific movies a terrific uh, actress uh, she was in my groundlings class, right? And so it that. was. It was so much fun. I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah. That, that I, I, that I, I could, you know, I, I could hire someone from my groundlings class. It's, you know, that was, like I said, a lightning in a bottle moment. You, just you know, you know, out. Todd Holland is a good friend of mine. Even today. All these well, years good, later. Good. Well, good, yeah. good. I, he's uh, such a talented we, guy. We've actually been talking about maybe doing a movie together. Uh, he's, he's so talented, yeah. Yeah, he really is. And also, let me comment a little bit on Dead Weight, because that was, again, one of my favorites oh, as well. G- oh, go for it, go for it, go for it. Right. So, you know, I mean, Toby Hooper, I had never oh. worked with before, and yeah. he came onto the show. And because of the our experience working together on the show, he and I became best best friends until he passed. I mean, mm-hmm. for years, we, we, would, we would have, we would get together and have dinner at Musso Frank's and close the place um, and, and just chat about movies. And it was, he, he was just, he was just a, such a special person that I entered my life and stayed in my life through Tales from the Crypt. The rest of that cast, James, James Remar. Remar. My name's Red Buckley. Manity. John Reese davies And John Reese davies became kind of a, a social friend for a little while. We would have a game night up at your house, and, and he came on, on numerous occasions. <laughs> he, he would come yeah. for dinner and dinner and get dinner and game night with John Reese davies Yeah. You know, another uh, episode that that again, it's just I, I had I had very little to do with deadline, which was the that was the first time working with with Walter Hill. And you know Walter basically just just took care of everything. I think I was allowed to read the script, and I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can look at it, but shut your mouth. You know. uh, but working with Walter was was again so special because he's such an artist, and he's so knowledgeable. Oh my gosh! And, and you know Joel had said to me, "Look, with Walter, just just he's a partner. Let just let, leave him alone. Let him do what he wants. If he goes over budget." You'll figure it out. You'll make it up on another one. Not I'll give you more money, but you'll figure it out. Make it up on another one. And so we were shooting at a at a bar downtown. And I was reading the script because he had done some work on the script. And, and I came upon something that didn't really make sense to me. I mean, yeah. I just I said, there seems to be like a gap. There seems to be like, it, it seems like I'm missing a page. <laughs> and so... Very, was, it, very, was, it, was, was it a scene or a piece of scene? It was a piece of information. A piece, a piece of information. A, a, a transition. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so, so I very reluctantly, thinking and hearing Joel's voice saying, "Leave him alone, just let him." I went to, I went over to him and I said, "So, so Walter, I, I, 
I want to ask you a question, and I'm, I'm also backpedaling as I'm saying this. I, but I, I, I don't this see is, this. This is our first season on the sh- on on the show. We're we're right. the newbies still, right? And we're on the set. I mean, it's yeah. not like we we're in an office somewhere talking. He's shooting. He, he's shooting. And so I said, so so I, I don't understand this one piece, and I'm sure maybe I misread something, and I'm sure you're going to tell me what an idiot you are because it's here or it's there. But I didn't see it. So I have to ask you. I I apologize. I have to ask you. And he looked at me like I was from from Mars. And he said, what? What are you you talking about? Did you not read the memo? (laughs) Don't talk to the man. Right. And so I picked up the script and I opened it up and I said, see, see here, here. I I get this. But but then I don't, I don't, then you jump to this and I I don't know what's, what's connecting it. And he said, well, I can't look at it now. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is my last day. And he goes, and he said, I'll look at it tonight and uh, we can talk tomorrow. And I said, great, just just take a look at it. I, I'm sure I'm sure it's there. I just didn't see it. And that was the end of it. We worked all day. We finished his day's work. The next morning I, I come in and there's a, this, I think my, I think Ed Tapia said to me, Walter's looking for you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> this is going to be the last day for me. So I go over to his trailer and I go in and he goes, uh, come in, come in, come in, sit down. You know, you were absolutely right. You were absolutely right. I can't believe I, I just, I I was thinking it, but I didn't write it. So here, take a look at this and see what you think. And of course it was just, you know, and I read it like in 30 seconds and I said, ah, this, this, is, this tells me everything I didn't know. And he said, it's a good catch, really good catch. I want you to sit with me when, when I'm shooting. And I said, "Well, Walter, I, you know, I got, a, I got a bunch of other shows that we're finishing and, yeah. and prepping, and I'll, I'll be there as much as I can." He said, "Okay, okay, that's good enough, but I really want you to sit with me." And I pretty much des- designed the rest of my workload to try to sit on the set with him each day, really to be just be there because he asked me to be, and also to learn from him. And and it was just an exceptional experience working with him. Part of the that, that lightning in a bottle thing was not just working with the best, the best that this town has to offer. It was, it was being having our work accepted, and then having our work sought out, right by them. And so when, well, all right, we'll we'll nibble on yellow a little bit just because, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that when 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 we started working on yellow bob's whole thing was that he wanted to recreate a movie that he loved paths of glory right. Kubrick's mm-hmm. paths of glory world war one epic starring kirk douglas and he he had to have kirk douglas or i don't i, I don't know that he even would have done it because it just it, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been it. Right. So it, it, it everything counted on getting kirk douglas yeah, and the script that we started with, there had already been a script written, but it just it wasn't good enough, and and uh, it had been written the pre- previous season by some big feature writers who who did not who didn't understand how to do this, uh, and Bob couldn't send it to I think it was William Morris represented Kirk Douglas at, at that time, and he couldn't yeah. in good conscience send it because he knew it'd be, it'd be rejected, and so he turned to. To us because you know this was part of our our deal was uh manage fix it. scripts and <laughs> fix he it. said you got to get me kirk and we did a draft we handed it back he said okay yeah i think this will work and we got kirk yeah 
and the when Bob went to to direct his next episode, he sought us out. And he said, "Guys, you're gonna do you're gonna do my episode for me. You're gonna, right. gonna write this for me." Right. And that all by itself to have Bob Zemeckis seek you out and say, "You're gonna do this for me." Right. Yeah, because you know, it, it, not only was it not only was it was it, was it somebody could get you know verifying that we were doing something good and something right, but it was such a joy to work with him because it was so open. It was so easy. You know, there, there was not a bad idea. Sure. There were a lot of ideas we came up with and he didn't like, and we threw them out, but it wasn't like you, you didn't feel there was, imp, there, not, he wasn't imposing himself on us. He was actually opening up the door for us to do whatever you want to do. Tell me whatever you want to tell me. And I'll be the arbiter of what I want to do and what I don't want to do and what I think you're coming up with that's good and, and what's coming up that's bad. Or or just or just doesn't doesn't work here. Yeah. You know, I, I you know the word bad really didn't come into Never. it. Was it works or it doesn't work. Yeah. It works for this, it works here because the one of the, the joys of working with Bob was that it was always a challenge because there was a puzzle, a problem, a yeah. really tough creative problem that we were all going to have to solve together. It was going to take the the collaborative process and our collective ability to, to problem solve to get yeah. past this. Yeah. Uh, wow. What a so everyone is invested in the project. It it ain't just a paycheck. It's it's uh, in in the the mafia calls la, la cosa nostra this thing of ours. Right. Well, yeah, right. I this is this this thing of ours. You you feel you feel great pride in it. And another episode that I should bring up. Yeah. Which also we had a great learning experience on was what's cooking. The first one we that I directed, um, and we wrote the script, and Donner looked at it and he said, "This is kind of funny." And yeah. fun. Yeah. This is really tales from the crib. <clears throat> yeah. And said, Who who do you want to cast? And I said, Well, I I I really would like Christopher Reeve, but you know, I mean he's a big star. He goes, Well, I, I made Superman with him. I, I could call him. Do you really want him? I don't want to call him and then you tell him. I said, No, I, I I really would if you could if you could get Christopher Reeve, that'd be fantastic. A few days pass and Dick comes into the office and says, Um, oh, you have a conversation at three o'clock with Christopher Reeve. So I go, what? What? <laughs> you better be ready Where? for it. He said he's going to call the office. And, and this was a time, you know, Christopher Reeve did not do TV. He was a he was a feature guy, and feature people did not do TV. But we had changed that. <clears throat> we yep. had we had changed it, and now <clears throat> we could get feature people like Christopher Reeve to do our little TV show. And he was on the East Coast, and we were on the West Coast, so we had right. a time difference. And I spoke to him for the first time, and we chatted a little bit about what you know what I thought the show was, and what he thought the show was, and what the character would do and wouldn't do, and you know all that kind of stuff. And then we started talking about uh, wardrobe and what 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 the sets would look like, and you know he seemed to be very excited by it, and and he committed before we hung up to doing the show. And so Dick was really happy about that because it, it it said something about you know Dick setting this up, and then Chris saying yes. And then I would call Chris every few days and give him an update. I'd say, well, you know, I spoke to wardrobe and we're thinking, how about this? And you wear that. And what do you think of that? I could send you pictures. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's good. Send me pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I like that. And so by the time he get out, came out to do the show, 
you know, we we had a relationship going and I thought it was fun and fair and equal and good and all that. And boy, was I surprised. <laughs> so we come to the set the first day and I'm laying out the first shot and 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 Chris goes, no, no. And I'm like, what, what what's what's no? <laughs> I don't like that. You don't like the shot. No, I don't like the shot. Ah, what are you thinking of? Oh, I'm not thinking of anything. I just don't like that shot. You got to come up with something else. You're the director. I said, oh, oh, okay, okay, fine. He was so being I, a feature guy coming into the TV world. Yeah. So we came up with another another shot, and 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 we got got to work. And every I noticed every time that day, we would change scenes, and I was laying out how we're going to move the camera and how we're going to move the actors. Chris had a problem. He didn't like it. It grated on me, and I really felt very inadequate. I felt like, why am I failing this guy? I thought I had it all together, and so uh, I think it was it's not like he's—it's he's, not something like he's giving you a, a point of view that where you want you say, "Oh, okay, I, I see where you're coming from, Chris. I see right. why you want this, and I see why why you want to." All right, there was this was simply just digging his heels in for no particular reason. Yeah, yeah. And I remember at one point he didn't understand a piece of the script, and I, and I said, "There's a time cut." This doesn't flow from this to this. There's a time cut. It's obvious there's a time cut. Do, do you see the time cut? No, I don't see the time cut. And we had a whole conversation about how this could be a time cut with a cut. Anyway, um, I think it was the third day. I was so riled up and so upset with Chris. I just didn't know what to do anymore. And finally, I stopped shooting. And I said to everybody, leave the set, which we never did, I think, ever. Hmm. I said, I need to talk to Chris alone. And everyone left. And I went over to Chris and I started saying to him, look, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I'm really upset. I'm not giving you what you need. And I don't know how to fix it. And and as I'm saying this, I'm getting more and more excited about it. And, you know, and I said, so, so tell me, tell me what we're doing wrong here so we can change it. And, and he just looked at me and said, no, you're not. You're not doing anything wrong. What? Why, why do you think you're doing something wrong? I said, because every time I set a shot, you don't like it. Oh, oh, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I said, but I, I'm. I'm obviously doing something wrong because every time I set a shot, you don't like it. You you have some other opinion, and 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 you don't give me a suggestion of what you would like to see happen or how you would like to move. It's just no. Come up with something else. So so Chris, what am I doing wrong? <clears throat> And then we had to get back to work because it was getting late. And, you know, we only took five minutes to do this. From that moment on, he would only call me boss. He never called me Gil again. He would go, hey, boss, where do you want me to go? Hey, boss, where do you want to? What? And I didn't really like that either, but it was better than being challenged. And we got through the rest of the episode. Yes. Mr. Chumley. Jeez, Fred, you make it sound so ugly. You killed Mr. Chumley! Yes, okay, okay, I killed him. Just hold that door open. Gaston, Fred, where are you? We've got customers. He'll be right out there, Irma. Fred, get a grip. <laughs> it's a dog-eat-dog dog world out there. And we're all just different flavors of Alpo. They don't keep the door open long, they'll spoil you know, we became quite friendly and 
he, he smoke said, after we finished the show. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and, he, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and even after the accident, when he was mm-hmm. paralyzed, and yeah. you know, after he came out of the and he was able to speak to people, and you know, uh, we called him and said, you know, when you're ready, when you're feeling up to it, we want you to direct the tales from the crypt. Yeah. And you know, Dana, I think, called me afterwards and said, You have no idea the effect that had on Chris. He he couldn't believe you guys called and offered him to direct an episode. He, he he is so grateful. And I said, well, we're grateful, you know, for working with him and we're grateful for his talent. And, mm. you know, we hope everything will be okay. I remember the day that happened when, when, <laughs> when the news dropped. It was shocking. What a, yeah. it was, it was such a, you know, he, he wanted, he, he, he simply wanted to be dominated. You know, he wanted to be, to, to be put in his place. So that I guess, he, you know, I guess, but I was too afraid to do that, <laughs> but you know, I wasn't going to do that. But once you was, but once you did, he, you know, yeah. he, he acknowledged the, you know, the the food chain and who was he, higher up and who was lower down. He, he was also a big guy. I mean, physically, he was big, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, he could take a shot at a me. A strapping lad. A strapping lad, indeed. But that was a very memorable episode to direct. And it was a very memorable experience with Chris. And, you know, it stayed, it stayed with me all these years. You know that that episode. Uh, once cooking, also you know, the funny story with Meatloaf. Well, you Meatloaf know. was Meatloaf was somebody that I knew um, because he had worked with Jim Steinman, who yeah. was a composer who wrote "Bad Out of Hell" for him, and so I knew him in New York. And I used to hang out with you know Jim and with Meatloaf, and Meatloaf was a big guy. And so that's why we wanted him because he was a big guy. Well, well it was also it was, there was something also just funny, just the idea and and in one of the this was a role about there was a, a show about cannibalism, right? And one of the actors that we cast is Meatloaf. I mean, right. it, it, it was hilarious as a concept, even if he sucked. Uh, we, we we had to hire him anyway just for for his name. But of course, it was it was Meatloaf, and it, I don't know for me. It was exciting as hell. I, I had never met the man, but when I was in college, Bad Out of Hell was, was I mean, we must have worn out copy after copy after oh, copy, yeah. playing that again and again and again. It was just, man, you just get absolutely out of your head and, and, and dance all night to that. And and, uh, a woman in his, and a woman in his band, Carla Jane DeVito, was a woman who was in uh, uh, El Grande de Coca-Cola in the Chicago company. Huh, huh. So really, all all tightly connected. I, I yeah. Mean, so I I I was really excited to be uh, have Meatloaf come in and do the show, and I was really excited to see him. I hadn't seen him in a while. Now the the problem was that we cast him really at the last minute, and, and the, yeah, the body cast. You know, we 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 had we, we had wanted Meatloaf, and we we thought we could get Meatloaf, but we couldn't close the deal, and so Todd who was going to do the body cast <clears throat> had to commit to, to just getting the body cast done. And we would do the fine tuning when Mr. Loaf, you know, came to, to visit. And lo, and lo and behold, and lo and behold, when he so showed up, he had just been on a crash diet. He'd lost 80 pounds. He'd lost 80 pounds. And he, I, I almost didn't recognize him when he walked into the office. I remember looking at him going, Oh my God, what happened to you? That's not what looked, I, I didn't know. He, he I didn't cast this. He looked nothing like our 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 the, no. the body cast. No, and you know when he wanted to go see it, you know, we showed it to him, and he went. He was really a, a little upset because he'd just been on this diet. He didn't look like anything like that right. anymore, and, and we were going to be that was going to be hanging naked in the shot. We right. were going to be saying, "This is what meatloaf looks like still," right. but he was 
he was very nice and and he, he he let that go but that wasn't that wasn't the worst part of it for him in order to make his wardrobe look like it would fit around that body the man who just lost 80 pounds had to put them back on with a fat suit right which had to be manufactured ASAP because we were about to start shooting. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I heard oh boy. <laughs> Morning Mess, our, our first season was also uh, a terrific episode. Well, you know, it's sort of appropriate to talk a little bit about that because we both had the same reaction to that show and to working with the people involved, hmm. especially Manny Cotto. Yeah. Um, who unfortunately and, and, and very sorrowfully passed away a week ago. Yeah, just, just. Um, and Manny was Manny became a friend, you know, for all these years. Um, I would talk to him every once in a while, and or 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 about just life, and or we'd have coffee, and and uh, you know, I remember when he got Twenty Four, which mm-hmm. was a big TV show, and he was going to be the showrunner for that. And I remember a few other big shows that he got. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he became a very substantial showrunner in, in television. And it all started, you know, he he, he wrote a, a, a script uh, with Brian Helgeland, who's also a, ta- a Tales uh, alum, yep. and called Ticking Man. Right. And they sold it for a million bucks. It never got made, but they sold it and put them on the map. Yeah. And, you know, we, we got involved with them after, shortly after that. And uh, they both each directed an episode. Hmm. But hmm. Manny was such a delightful... Oh, yeah. Soft-spoken fellow. You know, he was just such an easygoing guy. I, he also wrote wrote the script for his episode, and it was a terrific script. He, he really, yeah. he wrote great yeah. dialogue, really funny, yeah. pithy dialogue, punchy dialogue. Just some, I still have some of it in my head. It, it was it was so good. I was always jealous of him because he was so calm. Because yeah. I was I was in, inside, but my skin, I was scared to death. Yeah. And 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 I and I tried to be calm on the outside, but I was scared to on the inside. Manny was just—he was just easy, you know. And he seemed to be like that. And I was like, "How can, how does he do that?" Really, a sweet guy. Another memory I have from that episode: this was in our first season. Stephen Weber was the star. Rita Wilson was the the female lead, and uh, she was somewhat newly married still to Tom Hanks. Uh, she at the end is revealed to, to be a, a flesh eating ghoul. And, uh, we shot that the last day that she worked and she was mm-hmm. in the makeup trailer and, and Tom Hanks came to, to visit, to visit our set because he wanted to, to, to see his wife in, in, in ghoul for her full ghoul regalia. And he waited outside the trailer and we were at the, the A1 Globe pasta factory. The, the trailers were out front of our building and it, there was an interesting acoustics. You could hear everything. Sound just echoed there. And Rita comes out of the makeup trailer in, in her finished full ghoul regalia. And Tom Hanks lets out a whoop and a wail and a laugh. And she returns it. It was a sound like I had never heard before. It was so joyous. And it had this childlike awe at Look at you! Look at you! And I, God, you couldn't not you you could not not love those people. They were so authentic, and uh, of course, Rita was terrific in the episode and lovely to work with. And we had the pleasure of of working with Tom the next season when he directed. Um, first thing he ever directed was an episode of Tales from the Crypt. To me, 
the most exciting person we ever worked with was Buck Henry. And I loved the, the beauty right. rest episode to me was about working with Buck Henry because he wrote the graduate man and he wrote the screenplay for, for uh catch 22 and it's a bunch of great screenplays and Buck Henry, man. And, you know, working with Billy Friedkin was was an incredible joy, and, yeah. and I also love working with Kevin Hooks, and and I think he, his work on on our script too for the show yeah. was terrific, terrific. Uh, David Paymer w- was very good. Shame that he's no longer with us. Uh, I also think of uh, Forever Ambergris, Roger Daltrey. You know, it's in a it's a good episode, decent episode, but you know, all, all I think about is. Roger Daltrey, Roger Daltrey, yeah. you know, did our show was hanging out, you know, backstage with us, you know, drinking tea with us, and you're trying to hit on my wife. But it's Roger <laughs> Daltrey. That's okay. <laughs> it changes things. But into every into every life, some some rain must fall, and some some rain did fall into ours. You know, not every big great director and great you know famous person we got to work with was fun to work with. Not at uh, all. John Frankenheimer, you know, comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, in fairness to John, he was he was not at the top of his career. We were we in fact resurrected him. We 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 he was he couldn't get a job really when well I, I won't that's not true. He he was having a very hard time getting work because eh, of personal issues. You know, he drank a bit, and I think it the word in on the street was he's just too difficult, but we worked for Joel and it was Frankenheimer and he was gettable. And we thought, you know, we'll, we'll take that risk. Right. And so, and, we, it, and it was a risk. It, it was yeah. a risk. And, you know, it, as part of what I said earlier about the psychology of learning how to work with different people and different personalities, John Frankenheimer, I would yeah. go down to the set and say to him, where are we? And I hear we're behind. Why, why are we behind? How far behind are we? And where, and he would say, oh, no, I, I'll make it up. I'll do this. I'll do that. And I'd go, OK, fine. I can trust you. And I'd go upstairs and he, he would dismiss to- you, though. He he was rather dismissive of you. He, he Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it wasn't like he, he was saying he wasn't bowing. And going, yes, no, sir, not no, at all. Sir. No, no. He was like, I know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm doing. Get go, off my go. fucking set. Right. And so finally, I had to stop him from shooting. And I had just have to send a note down. I, I didn't go down to the set. I sent a note to the AD, stop shooting, send John up to the office right now, immediately. John came up to the office. Meantime, I'm 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 sweating because we're not shooting, and I didn't like that. I was always worried about time. And I said, close the door, and he sat down. I said, John, this is what the problem is. You're bullshitting me. You're not telling me the truth. You're not going to make your day, and you're not going to get more time. And, you know, I may have to fire you and have somebody else finish it. But, but you know, we only have so much time and so much money. This is what I expect from you. And they would, he would listen very carefully. He would say yes. And then he would back down to the set. And I, I didn't know what, what to expect. But if I brought him up to my office and stopped everything, yeah. like I was a Louis B. Mayer or somebody, and sit him down and tell him what I expected, he would go down and do it. And that's the only way we got that episode finished. You know, it's not unlike how it worked with Chris Reeve. You 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 simply had to to, you know, they had a a certain mentality of of, of a pecking order, and they needed yeah. to understand where they were and where you were. 
Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, I, I really like John personally. I mean, mm. his stories about the Kennedys and about especially Bobby Kennedy. He was oh, he was there. God, yeah. He yeah, was at the yeah. Ambassador Hotel when, yeah. you know, in, in the same room when Bobby was assassinated. Yeah. And, and Bobby had stayed at John's house the night before. So, I mean, listening to him speak about all these other things was just fascinating. And uh but that was again. It was it was part of the lightning because yes, John yeah. was a difficult personality to work with, but he was still it's John Frankenheimer, and he had an yeah. amazing body of work, and he was connected to people that, wow, and you know, so there's that six degrees of separation. You're you're yeah. now down to two. You're 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 in the room now with, <laughs> at, with famous people as as ter- you know famous things happen. That's wow. Yeah. All right. Um, as I look at episodes that that I you know I I, I had a similar problem with, with a lesser director Rodman Flender, um, you know we had problems on you know Rodman came in and did a great job for us on uh, the uh, was it Food for Thought episode uh-huh. and he, he was terrific and so the next season he wrote and directed an episode unfortunately he got a comic that was just it's not a good comic and it was called mm-hmm. 99 and 44 100 oh, pure horror it's, it's got it's an unpronounceable title it's a horrible title and it has to do with an ad slogan from a thousand years ago but our deal was you ha- we had to use the titles yeah everything else we could com- toss it all out but we had to use the titles and this one was about soap and it, it just had such an unlikely ending it just it, it was it, 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 the the premise itself def- made for a, a just an unsatisfying story. So, in Rodman's defense, he was kind of doomed from the start by a, a problematic comic. What doomed him even further was we hired an actress, Christy Conway, who uh, I guess she, she was having an Erica Aleniak moment. She suddenly d- decided she didn't want to be that kind of actress who. Who agrees to take? Who agrees to do nudity and then won't do the nudity? And and for whatever reason, Rodman creeped her out. I don't know, but she wouldn't come out of her trailer, and uh, I went to her trailer, and eventually she let me in, and I tried to talk her down off the ledge. She was not going to do the nudity. It simply was not going to happen. And when she shot this shower scene, that was essential because it was how her character dies. <laughs> you know, was how, she was going to have to be in the shower and without clothes because. And so we agreed that she would do it uh, with a piece. So she was not going to be naked. We would have to shoot it cleverly, but Rodman could not be on the set. He had to be in another room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, man. It wasn't all fun. No. Uh, and and the Elliot that you referred to earlier is Elliot Silverstein. Yes. Who did a number of episodes with us. He was a good friend of Dick Donner's, and he had done, uh, he, he had made Capaloo years ago as a yeah, feature well, with, he, with the Academy Award winning picture. Yeah. Lee Marvin and, won the Academy Award for that. Man right. Called Horse. Man Called Horse. Yeah. And so he did an episode, and I remember we were sit, we were at a theater in Santa Monica. The, the, the first of many. I mean, in the end, you you survived the story you're about to tell. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it turned out that it's a very successful story because again, you learn from experience of how these people think and how they work, 
And Elliot became a dear friend. And, and uh, you know, to this day, I love him. He's like 95 years old. But Elliot was, came. he came in and he was laying out his shots. And we were out in Santa Monica at this theater. And there's an alleyway behind the theater. And we go outside and we <clears throat> laid out the shots inside. And they seemed pretty, pretty full, efficient. And comes outside and he goes, okay, so. It, so it, Gil, was, a, it was a period piece. That, yeah. It, yeah, it was a period piece. Yeah, yeah. He said, Gil, so out here on this alleyway, I need to uh, put dirt for at least three blocks, maybe four blocks, because I'm going to look down. The, I'm going to look down that street. I said, no, you're not. No, we don't have we don't have money for dirt for four blocks. Maybe we have money for dirt for one block. But the way you do that is, you know, you angle it off. I mean, just angle off. You don't have to look straight down the alleyway. You need to angle it. Oh, no, no, I don't want to angle it. I want to see all the way down. I said, Elliot, it ain't happened. You're not going to get the dirt. I can't do that. It's not and, only bringing in the dirt, it's cleaning it up. And it's also the exposure of all these other places out there that surround the street. So it's not and, happening. And, and Elliot was a very particular kind of filmmaker. He he really, he was, he was, he had the whole thing cut in his head. Before, before he even started. Before he even started. He knew what yeah. the whole movie looked like. Yeah. And he really was just trying to, to get just the stuff he needed. And and if he wasn't going to get that shot, well, that was going to fuck with something else that he had in mind. So for <laughs> Elliot, this was, oh, no, no, no. You cannot change the movie in my head. Right. Producer. But, but he did. But but he did. And, yeah. and that episode, you know, was fine. And, and, and he went on to do, I think, two other episodes with us. Yeah. He directed Malcolm McDowell for us, one of them. He did the, uh, uh, the reluctant vampire. The reluctant vampire, yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, one of the, the great episodes. Yeah. But well, let's finish on uh, perhaps the most problematic person we ever had to work with. And when he sat in the director's chair, it was especially hard on you because you're the guy who had the relationship with him. When, and also, when, he wasn't directing. Yeah. When <laughs> Joel, yes, the, the Joel Silver, so when, the, the director so Joel, who never directed. So Joel calls me into his office one day. And he says, I got a great idea. I said, what? He goes, I'm going to direct an episode. I said, you're going to direct an episode. Why are you going to direct an episode? You've never directed before. You know, well, we, you know, I, I guess. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll try to see this from Joel's point of view. You know, we had a lot of famous people directing first time direct. We, we, we were the famous first time directors, Arnold, right. Tom Hanks, Michael J. Right. Fox. So yeah. why not Joel? Well, I couldn't say no to him. Ultimately, he said, I don't give a shit what you say. We're gonna, I'm directing. So I said, OK, well, you understand the rules of directing on our show, right? You, you're When you're on the set, we don't have cell phones. We don't have phones out. We're not talking to everybody else. We're concentrating on the shots. We're looking at the actors. We're looking at performance. And he goes, OK, I want Jan DeBond to shoot it. <laughs> so I was like, what? What do you mean, Jan DeBond? We have our DPs. No, no. I, I'm going to call Jan. He's going to do me a favor. He's going to shoot it. And so Jan shot it. And, you know, I got into it with Joel because he was never there. I mean, he was off. Uh, he was off on the phone, pacing up and down the roadway, talking about some other movie with somebody. I go, Joel, they're ready for you. No, Jan's not ready for me. I go, no, he's ready for you. He's been sitting there for 10 minutes. Just get off the phone. Get off the phone now. And we would get into these arguments and he would say to me, you know, I could fire you. I could fire you like that just right now. And I said, I know you can. And you could do that. But I'm going to fire you because you were director. You're working for me now as a director. I can fire you. And we used to get into these arguments. Who can where, fire who? Yeah, I would say, he would say, I, you can't. And I'd go, I can't. You can't. I can't. And so it, it got to be silly. 
But he didn't, you know, he, a lot of times I was running after him saying, get rid of that phone. I'm going to take that fucking phone. And I'm going to throw it away. I mean, really, did Joel direct that? Who would you say directed that episode? I think Jan and I directed that episode. Hmm. Because yeah. Jan, Jan was right. really there to, to you know. Well, he set up all the shots. So, you know, it's not like he Joel was set up the go. shots and I was looking for the performances. Right. So and then and occasionally Joel would give us some attention and he would he would have comments and. You know, he would direct a few shots and a few scenes, but but basically he was too busy thinking about all the other things he was doing, which you just can't afford to do when you're directing. As we said, we were we were kind of a boot camp for first time directors, some famous. So there was yeah. something something in it for all of us. But but our executive producers also used you know uh, episodes, these directing slots to try out people who hadn't directed before. We uh, had a lot of first-time writers. Uh, Peter Iliff, uh was the first thing he, I think he directed. Steve D'Souza. Tales from the Crypt. Uh, D'Souza, yeah. So, you know, we had a lot of of uh, writers who, who were given shot uh, a shot at, at directing. And we were, we had gotten quite good. You know, uh, got, uh, Michael Thal got to direct an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Right. And really a total favor. Uh, Michael, uh, before... The second season, he was the post-production supervisor, right. and he was very connected to, to 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 Dick Donner, and 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 so you know this was this was in the favored territory, and and Michael, yeah. Michael, you know he he had great ambitions, but as Joel Silver would say, your people skills are shit, <laughs> and he just did not know how to communicate with his cast. And on the the last day of the episode, I don't know where you were, so they came looking for me. I was just the lowly story editor at that point. But they came looking for me. There was a, a complete shutdown on the set. The the actors would no longer talk to to Michael, and Michael was sitting in his chair in a huff. We got to go. We got to do something. I think, uh, yeah, I think Lee was directing that episode. So I I walked down onto the set. I said to Michael, what's going on? And he said, well, they won't talk to me. They won't talk. I don't know what the problem is. Said, okay, just, just sit here. So I walked and I opened the cast. And uh, uh, oh, forget me, John Glover was the lead. Mm-hmm. And he was beside himself. And I said, John, uh, what can I do to, to try to, to help you here? And he looked at me. I'd never been on the set in this episode. He said, who the fuck are you? <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I said, all right, all right. Look, I'm 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 one of the producers, and uh, I understand there's a problem. And look, we we need we need to get through this day. So I'm here to help you do whatever you need to do so we can get out of this day. What do you need, John? What what what's not working here? Good for you. Yeah. And so you know we we got you know him with that with Michael sitting uh, offset the yeah. rest of the cast. We had a couple of good young actors, a key who a well, worked for us. Who just won the Academy Award? Yeah, uh, yeah. he he had uh, he he worked for us and uh, got everyone to finally. All right, here's what the scene is going to be. So we blocked the scene. You know, Michael didn't know how to block a scene, and this was the climax. And so it was all about the choreography of actors moving through space and not bumping into each other. But you know, yeah. there was a bit of choreog- yeah. choreographed madness. He had yeah, no yeah. idea how to do it. So, you know. So we did it and we got out of the day. But, you know, we 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 worked with unexperienced directors all the time. This was part of what, you know, 
good lightning in a bottle, bad lightning in a bottle, but it was still interesting lightning, still lightning in a bottle of a kind because fascinating things could happen. And, and, and many did. of them went on to become, you know, substantial uh, directors. I mean, Peter Brian Helgeland. Yeah, Brian, Brian and Peter. Yeah. Yeah. But Joel never went on to have an illustrious directing career after, after doing his episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, it was cool working with Pesci. Yeah, uh, we had it was about twins who fight over a a con man, a con artist played by Pesci, and we had those two strange twins who always hung around Silver Pictures, the Citroen twins, Jacqueline and Kristen. Uh, and also, I don't know if you remember Mike Vosberg when we were with Mike Vosberg, he told a story to us just a few months ago, where he was uh, at some restaurant. And this woman is on the other side of the restaurant and she's going, oh, my God, I got to I got to talk to you. I got to get over there. I got to talk to you. And she comes twins. over to Vosburg and she starts saying, I, I work with you when you produce Tales from the Crypt. And Vosburg is now realizing that she thinks that he's Gil Adler. And Vosburg goes, I'm not Gil Adler. I, I'm Mike Vosburg. And she's like, who? Cool. Who's Mike Fosberg? And she goes, I did all the covers. I made the comic book covers. I, you know, I put your image in, and I think it was her sister, twin sister. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and he told he he told me this funny story. She says, well, you're not Gil Adler. Is he still around? <laughs> and so he said, Yeah, yeah, he's fine. It was kind of kind of a funny story that Mike that Mike told us about uh, about those girls. Yeah, Joey Pants, Joey Pantoliano also had a small part in the episode. I had the pleasure of working with Joey Pants a bunch of years later when I was doing uh, The Outer Limits uh, up in Vancouver. And uh, I had been out of work for a bunch of years and I had let my hair grow and I'd gotten this idea in my head that I, I, I was not going to cut my hair until I was until I had a gig. And uh, I got hired to do uh, The Outer Limits and I started working, started writing then. We, they flew us all up to Vancouver to, to get started. And I, I I was producing the first episode of the season, one that I had written. And uh, I still hadn't gotten around to cutting my hair. It was down to my ass. I, I had hair. Can you fucking believe it? I had hair down, down to my ass. And uh, so we hired Joey Pants. And uh, first day working with Joey, you know, we worked with him before. I, I knew a few things about him. Uh, but Joey is, is is poking fun at me because look at your hair. Your hair is terrible. God, you look awful. What what, <laughs> what the fuck is with you and your hair? I went and I said, well, I decided no, I don't give a fuck about that. Your hair looks awful. Now, I knew for a fact that before he worked as uh, before he started working as a as an actor very successfully, he cut hair in New Jersey. Right. <clears throat> so I said, uh, just to make him shut the fuck up, I said, I tell you what, Joey, if you if you are so determined that I have to cut my hair, you can cut my hair. Uh, lunch is coming. Lunch, you can cut my hair if you if you're so determined. Say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to cut your hair. I have Polaroids of uh, of me sitting in a chair in in in, in the in, in makeup and hair and hair and makeup and Joey Pantoliani Pantoliano giving me a terrific haircut. Well, I'm I'm telling you, it looks great now. <laughs> it worked out. Well, hey, <laughs> you know. And just going uh, back to just going back to Pesci one second. We were shooting Pesci's episode. Uh, Joel was directing it, and we were, we took over the Pantages Theater. It was the last night. Now that was the very last night. Of not <laughs> yeah. just that episode, but of the whole season. It's yes. really 
the and and you and I just after that, I think you and I went to Big Sur together. We we went to the Ventana. Our, our, right. Our, you and you not together. Uh, me and my wife, you and your wife. But right. it was one of those times when we used to travel together a, a right. lot. And so, right. so right. we were looking forward to get hitting the man, road that we could see the light at the end of this fucking tunnel, especially. This night coming to the end of this particular, it was a long, very good season, but a long episode working with Joel. You just want to get this night over with. Carry on. But we're shooting all night and we yeah. set it up as a casino, the yeah. lobby of the Pantages. Yeah. And good. we're having some lighting issues and something's changing. And it's like three or four o'clock in the morning. And Joey comes over to me and he says, so uh, are we going to be much longer? And I went, yeah, probably another half hour. And he goes, let's go for a walk. I went, what? Goes, Let's go for a walk. I go, where are you going to go for a walk? It's Hollywood Boulevard. It's four o'clock in the morning. You really want to go for a walk? He goes, what? What? You're afraid to go for a walk on Hollywood Boulevard with me? You think someone's going to intimidate me? I said, well, a gun could intimidate you or a knife. Come on. Let's go for a walk. So here's Joey. Joey. Uh, hey, Joe uh, Pesci. Joe Pesci and I are walking down Hollywood Boulevard. Nobody's on the street. No cars on the road. And we're just going for a walk. You know, we walked about four or five blocks this way. And then I said, ah, we should get back. Maybe the lights are ready. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe we're ready to shoot. And we came back. Yeah. But it was the most bizarre evening for me, walking down Hollywood Boulevard at four o'clock in the morning with Joey. With Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. That was the the the, the thing about working on Crypt. Even the episodes that that really, at the end of the day, we just hated, hated right. doing them. Right. But it was never entirely white or black it, it was still always part of that same fantastic experience yeah. so e even yeah. even even the worst even the worst day was still but like, you know so we never like we didn't know that when we were doing it yeah. only in only now in retrospect looking back can you can you glean some of that on those days i would leave and i would go home and i would be yeah. just up in a dither and oh, i was yeah, just feeling yeah, terrible yeah. And, yeah. and couldn't sleep and you don't you didn't know how good you had it right right oh and and on that bombshell indeed uh wow this has been a hoot it really what, was what a shock <laughs> uh I, I i thank you all for putting up with this i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and if you didn't screw you <laughs> until you. next time yeah see you next time everyone the How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast, followed up for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called terrific Crypt content. And don't forget to like us, subscribe, and please tell your friends. <laughs>